You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This evening, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. We come to a new book. So we've wrapped up Leviticus. We now come to Titus. It's the second to last book in the collection of Paul's letters. If you're flipping to the, towards the back of your Bible, if you run into Hebrews, which is the last big book before you come to Revelation, the very last book, and then flip two books ahead of Hebrews, it's Titus. In our pew Bibles, it's only two pages long. It's a short but wonderful book. And we'll be taking it one small piece at a time as we look through these wonderful pages of God's Word. This evening, we will just be reading chapter 1 and verse 1 as we begin looking into this book. So hear now God's Word from Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. We move tonight from the book of Leviticus to this New Testament book of Titus, this letter from the Apostle Paul, not to a church, as many of his letters were, to Corinth and Rome and Ephesus and Galatia, it's to an individual, as some of his letters were, to uh, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. This is a close ministry associate. Titus was serving on the island of Crete. Now we'll learn more about Titus and Crete as we come to them later on through the book. But it might seem a little bit like whiplash to move from Leviticus now to Titus. Moving from back in ancient Israel, standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, as God's giving them instructions for worship in 1450, around there, B.C., Now we're moving forward 1,500 years in time to around 62, 65 AD, after Christ's ministry, after Christ's ascension, after the establishment of the new covenant church and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them, we now come to a different place in the world, a different culture, even a different language with the, the book, the letter to Titus. But in all of this, all these differences in time and space and place, these two books still witness to the same thing. It's amazing how we have from cover to cover of Scripture, every book witnessing to the same reality, the everlasting God of grace who has provided salvation for his people. Leviticus was about a sinful people approaching and communing with the holy God, pointing to and and foreshadowing the coming Christ who would take away the sin of the world. And Titus is about walking out that same reality in the church, here and now, and now that Christ has come. All of Paul's letters have different concerns. There's different historical events going on and different issues arising in the churches he's writing to. And Titus there in Crete certainly has his share of issues. But I think Paul's chief concern in this book, as we'll see as it unfolds, is the undermining of apostolic teaching 
of the gospel of grace, people undermining the apostolic preaching and the public ministry of the church. So we'll see Paul continuing to tell Titus to stand firm, to rebuke the naysayers, to not allow evil to gain a foothold. Truth was being distorted, bearing bad fruit in the lives of the people. And so this is a perpetually relevant topic for all of God's people today. We start with the greeting this evening, which follows Paul's usual form and and which is Paul's own take on the standard Greek letter greeting. These letters would begin by identifying the author, saying something about the author, and then identifying the recipient, which is kind of nice because sometimes if you get a letter in the mail, you have to look back to the, to the end of the letter in our day and age to see who wrote it. But here Paul tells us right off the bat who it's from. And it opens reminding not just Titus, but the whole church, because this was, we have indications, this was intended to be read to the entire church. The goal of Paul's and Titus's ministry. Seek to know Christ more that you would grow in faith and godliness. That's what we see here in this opening line, to seek to know this Jesus more that you would grow in faith and godliness. We're going to look at two overarching headers in our verse this evening. First is the call of the apostle, and second is the ministry of the apostle the call, and then the ministry of the apostles. So first, let's look at the call of the apostle, how Paul identifies himself. He says, first, Paul, a servant of God. He identifies himself as a servant of God. Because the Christian life is one of being a servant to God. We wake up in the morning, not to further our own fiefdom, but to serve the great king. And Paul's identifying right off the bat, I am here to serve God. He's demonstrating that his authority is not exercised for his own good, for his own purposes, but it's exercised for the sake of the God of heaven and earth. And he's not like some genteel servant who's serving on his own terms, but he's one under somebody else's authority, a bondservant or even a slave. Paul identifies himself as this slave of God, serving him and his interest, what matters to him and pursuing his glory, his name, his honor. That is Paul's driving heartbeat, to serve the God of heaven and earth. So what about our lives? This is applicable not just to an apostle. This is applicable to every Christian. Every Christian. Can this be said about us as well? Can we be said about you? A servant, a slave of God. Could it be said of us by others that we are servants of God? Not our own agenda, but of the God of heaven and earth. Do we submit our whole beings to to him? Where do we refuse to do this? Where are we really servants of our own desires? There's much to consider in our own lives. And even in this three, four words, a servant of God. The calling upon us all to serve the great God and King. There is more pleasure in serving this God than in serving any other master in the universe. God graciously calls us to be his servants because this is what we were made for. This is right and good for us to do. So Paul is a a servant of God who's about to speak of his authority, but his authority is for the sake of the King. Paul, 
a servant of God. But he goes on to speak of his call in the next phrase, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says. So he's not just a servant, but he has a more specific calling, and that is the calling of an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what's an apostle? Well, an apostle is someone who witnessed the resurrected Christ, saw him in the flesh, and was personally called by Christ to perform an authoritative function in the early church. Take an authoritative position in the early church in that absence of Christ to speak on his behalf. So there's an authority attached to this apostle title. And today we balk at authority. We don't like authority. We don't like submission and similar ideas today. But this idea is clearly biblical as the church was called to submit to these apostolic figures in the early church, Paul being one of many. But that authority must be exercised properly. And Paul begins with this this statement about his own being, his own calling, as he does in many of his letters. But here it highlights the fact that these rebukes he's about to issue are not merely personal vendettas he has against people. He's called by Jesus Christ to exercise this authority for the purity of the church, for the peace of the church. This is real authority given by Christ. But also these apostles formed a foundational, or or they played a foundational role in the church. We see Paul writing elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2. Writes to the church there, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the church, we're we're citizens. There's this membership of the household of God This church, and the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's a foundational character to the apostles that's not repeatable later on, but was there for a certain time in the history of the church to lay the foundation for the rest of it. And so before the completion of the written record of God's word, that would be the guide for the rest of the church throughout history, God, Jesus, appointed apostles who would speak for him who indeed wrote down these words that would be preserved for us to this day. They ministered to the church, proclaiming the work of Christ, proclaiming what the work of Christ meant for the church and meant for all people. The call of the gospel was to be preserved by the apostles. And the call to obedience was to be reiterated by them under the new covenant. And so this apostolic foundation was essential for their day because if Christ ascended into heaven and left no ambassadors, left no apostles on his behalf, what was the church to do? They were essential, but it continues to be essential today. This apostolic role is essential even for us today because we have their very documents that they wrote. The reason we have Titus is because it was an apostolic document written not only for Titus, for the church in Crete, for us even today. I love the Nicene Creed, as you know. And part one line from the Nicene Creed says, I believe in one holy Catholic, Catholic being universal, and apostolic church. What does that mean that we believe in one apostolic church? It means that the church carries on the apostolic teaching and tradition. The church is faithful to what the apostles taught 
We believe in an apostolic church and that we rest upon their foundation even to this day. There's no new revelation outside of what we receive from the apostles. Their teaching is now inscripturated for you and me today. So this apostolic foundation is critical. And for us, we can come to God's word with certainty, as even Pastor Wright spoke of this morning, because God's word was commissioned by Christ himself through his appointed agents and these apostles. And so we come to these treasures of grace here, the riches that we have in God's word, knowing Christ himself has authorized his spirit working in the apostles and through the apostles that we would have a record of what Christ has done for us. And now the call of the Christian life in response. Paul is a servant and an apostle. His call is one to serve the Lord and represent Jesus Christ to the world, one who, who speaks for him, has special, unique authority for the church. And so as we come to this book, listen. So do all of God's word, but listen, Christ is speaking to, through him to us today. So let's listen. Let's listen for Christ. So we have the call of the apostle, Paul's call, but he speaks what his, the purpose of this call is. As we turn to now the ministry of the apostle, what is the purpose of Paul's role? Why is Paul, why is Paul writing to Titus? Why is Paul preaching the gospel? Why does Paul care about the purity of the church? He says it in the next clause here. He's a servant. He's an apostle. Why? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. This is Paul's aim. The faith of God's elect. What is the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ? It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect to grow us all in our faith. That's why the church exists, to call people to faith in Christ and those who are in Christ to call us to growth in faith. That's why Paul is writing. That's why the church is important, to increase our dependence upon God, to look to him in trials, to resist the temptations of the evil one, to maintain our gaze upon Christ at all times, even in the midst of the storm, there's no end to this growth in life. Faith, I think we can say in many cases, is a fragile thing, is it not? Faith is something, one day you feel completely assured of your salvation, completely confident in Jesus Christ, and then maybe something comes the next day, and maybe you're emotionally a wreck and you begin to wonder, are these things true? Is this real? Am I really a Christian? And I think we, many of us can testify to the fact that our faith is a fragile thing. And the man who, 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 who asked Jesus to heal his daughter in Mark chapter 9, I think his prayer is so apropos and one that we pray often. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And that's the cry of every Christian because none of us have a perfect faith. So our faith is fragile, but we come to the church. We come to the proclamation of God's word to be strengthened in our faith. With this cry, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh, Jesus Christ, may you strengthen my faith. Because our faith must be cultivated, attended to, worked, encouraged. 
Faith, as imperfect as it is, though, it's how God sustains us through this life. As he draws us back to him, he calls us to look to him always in every situation. And I think it's also important to note what Paul has not said his ministry is for. What's the purpose of the apostolic ministry is to build us up, but it's not for fame. It's not for prestige. It's not for power to build up his own ministry, to sell his own books, for his own recognition, to be on the New York Times bestseller list, to have his articles on the Gospel Coalition. It's not for respect. That's not the purpose, and those things are not bad in and of themselves, but his purpose is not to do any of these things. His purpose is for the faith of God's children. Paul has no selfish motives here. Maybe sinfully he had some. But the drive, the heartbeat, the things he cares about is for the flock, for the sheep, for their well-being, their good. And I hope you know, members of Redeemer Church, that your officers believe that too. We believe it is our job, elders and deacons, to care for your faith to see you thrive in your faith, to see you grow from the smallest child in the room. All of you, we care about your faith. To our, our elder members that we prayed for even earlier, desire to see their faith grow as we look to Christ together. But this is not just the call for the officers in the church. This is the call for every minister or every member of the church. Every member, there's the general office that we all share together, the general office of a Christian that we all share to minister to one another. And so when we get together in community groups, when you see each other out at the grocery store, when we have people into our homes, what's the purpose of all of that? What, what does Christian fellowship matter? Why does it matter? Why do we pour our effort and energy into it? It's for the faith of God's elect. We do this when we run into each other at the grocery store. How are you doing? Can we encourage their faith in that moment? When we invite people into our homes, can we not share the warmth of Christ's love and care and concern for them? Remind them that I'm but a human who loves you, but your Father in heaven loves you so much more. Can we walk with one another to encourage and build up the faith of one another? We do love one another here, and we enjoy spending time with each other. But that enjoyment is not all, is not, is not what this is all about, ultimately. Let us strive to be pointed and to care about the faith of one another and pursue a growth in faith. So Paul's ministry is about our faith, seeing it grow. But he makes two more comments about this faith. Two more comments. And the first is, what is faith grounded in? Where is the faith, what does it grow out of? This is first grows out of knowledge. So he cares about the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. When there's knowledge of the truth, the faith can flourish. Our faith is not some mere empty opinion or a baseless idea. We don't try to conjure up good thoughts or good vibes. That's not what our faith is. Our faith is grounded in a knowledge and a truth that Paul is so often reminding his churches and his co-laborers of. 
It's grounded in knowledge. It's a trust based on the truth that is revealed to us. We don't have an empty faith. Faith in and of itself is no virtue. See the bumper stickers, just believe. Okay, believe what? We believe in Jesus Christ. We trust in Jesus Christ. We look to him based on the knowledge of who he is. The facts of Christianity are essential. That's why we so often recite the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Because the facts of the faith are so essential. What Jesus did, what God purposed before the foundation of the world. Our hope is grounded in these things. Not in the subjective certainty that I might feel or not feel. The truth and knowledge is essential. The basic truths of the gospel and the knowledge of Christ are necessary for salvation. But it's only a little. It's, only, it's a small level. There's not some high hurdle that we must overcome. I think our membership vows do a great job of, of expressing those basic points of knowledge that we need in addition to the Apostles' Creed. Are you a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure? And do you receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? These are the two things we need to know. I am a sinner and Jesus is a great savior. But we can't jump to Jesus being a great savior if there's nothing to save us from. And so our knowledge of the truth, the knowledge that Paul reminds us of is the knowledge of even myself standing unjust, standing justly condemned before a holy God. I'm a sinner apart from Christ. But oh, how in this context, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so sweet. Oh, how glorious it is that he, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man who suffered, who died, who rose again. Why all of these things for us men and for our salvation? As the creed says. We must know Jesus. We must know who he is. This is not a sentimentalism here, but this is the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has died and risen again that we might live. So ground yourself, your whole being in the truths of Christ. Paul says that's why he is here, to grow us in our knowledge and understanding that our faith might flourish. And don't be content with the surface level understanding, reciting platitudes, not understanding our faith. Dive deeply. Dive deeply into the truth. Dive deeply into God's word. And here at Redeemer Church, we have so many opportunities to do that as we, in community, dive deep in God's word together. Everything from Sunday school, community groups, Bible studies, men and women, your own reading, conversations, use them to dive deep in knowing Christ more. If you don't continue to pursue this, your faith will feel stale. We must be pursuing the truth. And Paul says that is one of his jobs as an apostle, to make sure we know the truth for our knowledge of the truth. And then the final piece of this first verse speaks to what is the result of faith? Where does it take us? So faith is grounded in truth. Faith flourishes under the ministry of the church. Where does it lead us to? 
accords with godliness. Our faith, our knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. The result of faith is now a life ordered toward God, a life that is godly. No, not a life that is perfect here on earth, but a life that is characterized by repentance and humility and love and self-sacrifice and service and the like. And so as your faith grows, your knowledge grows, your trust in Jesus Christ grows, so also your godliness grows. As the theologians say, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Good doctrine, good teaching leads to good living. Understanding what is true about ourselves, the gospel, the world, the law, leads us to living well. Paul's writing in the context of this early church in Crete and is calling Titus and the church throughout this book to observe the fruit of a ministry. And we, there's all kinds of ministries around us, and we hear of failing leaders and failing pastors every day in the church across the world. But as we look at these various ministries, again, new ones popping up all the time, we need to look at the fruits. Is the, this ministry bearing beautiful fruits? Or is it a terrible, rotten fruit that is coming forth from it? Not just the beliefs, but how do people live? Again, we're not expecting perfection, but is it this humble, repentant, God-honoring life? Even more closer to home, we need to look at the fruit of our own beliefs. Look at our own lives. Does our life accord with godliness? Are we living consistently with godliness? Are we cultivating a love, a care for others, an empathy, a faithfulness in our relationships? Does our life life Does it align with biblical godliness? And if not, sometimes we need to take a step back and look at it. Am I misunderstanding God's word? Am I misunderstanding the truth? Because if we have bad theology, it will inevitably lead to bad practice. The ministry of the apostle. The apostle wants to grow us in our faith. Ground us in truth. Lead us to godly lives. And in light of this wonderful book that we're just beginning to dip our toe in the water, in light of all this, let us thank God for the call of this apostle and every apostle. So we imitate him as a servant of God and heeding his Christ-given authority over us as an apostle. Let's give thanks for him. But let's be attentive to this ministry. Let us soak ourselves in this ministry knowing more of and grasping onto Jesus Christ by faith more and more, the indeed author and perfecter of our faith. Let us draw nearer to him by knowing him more and more and by striving to bear fruit, the fruit of godliness that is consistent with such a faith. Have a glorious and a gracious Savior who has accomplished this salvation for us. So brothers and sisters, let's look to him more and more every day, grounding ourselves in truth with the goal of living for his glory and godliness. Let's look to him in prayer. Gracious God, we are thankful for this apostle, indeed your servant, 
And we thank you that you are at work for our good to build up our faith. May we avail ourselves of these means. May they be, may they bear great fruit in our lives for your glory, for your honor, not our own, not our own platform and our own stage. May you be honored in all that we do. We love you, O Lord, and are thankful for such a great salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.